Well, welcome back. You have a good afternoon? Great. What a great state you've got. Love it here. Uh, one thing I thought it would be good to do is um, find out what happened last night. I, I'm one of those skeptics. I, no, I'm not always a skeptic, but I'm inquisitive. And I, I always, you know, we pray for people, and I always want to know, did anything happen? Anyone get worse? Anybody, we kill anybody last night? Uh, you know, I mean, if, if, if this is actually something we're going to dedicate ourselves to, uh, it, it's it's like, it's pretty important to kind of follow up and, find out what happened, what was helpful, what wasn't, and see what we can learn. I mean, didn't we talk about that, for those of you here this morning, this whole way in which people learned in Jesus' day, and that was something called praxis. They learned by doing, and in the context of doing, they kept talking and interacting and saying, like, why didn't that one come out? Or why didn't that work? Or, or how come that did work? You know, and, and am I really as good as I think I am? Or, and, and so Jesus was interact with them, and, and that's part of how, in the rabbinic method, the student became like their master. It was the whole point. So it's really good. Uh, and the other thing is, is that I really don't like it when, you know, someone will say, uh, who was prayed for last night? Who felt the spirit? And and somebody will, yeah, maybe I did. And then they, and then you end up being broadcasted. You know, hundred people were healed last night. And you go, I don't think so. Like at least we ought to be honest about this stuff, shouldn't we? I remember one time we were in Hong Kong, John Wimber and I, and he did this ministry time in the first night or whatever the conference. And the next day he came back and he said, you know, I've been asking around. And he asked some questions in that moment. He said, as far as I can tell, we probably prayed for hundreds of people last night and not one person got well. It takes a lot of guts to even want to talk about it, doesn't it? And yet, how do you ever move on and move forward unless you're willing to start where you really are? So I just always want to, to interact a little bit, even though this is like a tiny little squeezed-in space we have. Now, if we pray for people, then I want to take some time to talk about it and at least learn something about the process, or else we just stop doing it, don't we? It's amazing how many, quote, vineyard churches who say, this is the center of our philosophy, our functional philosophy of church, and, and yet any kind of prayer for the sick is sort of tucked over into the corner because we gave up on it years ago. And we still have ministry teams and soft music and, you know, people take the vineyard prayer pose. And, and, but, uh, but while we're faithful, we're no longer faith-filled. And anybody know? That's a, that's a challenge in the Christian life, isn't it? And, and it's, I mean, faithful's good. Uh, don't, don't hear me. I'm wrong. Uh, faithful is good. But the Christian life was never intended to be just faithful. It's intended to be also faith-filled, always reaching with expectancy that heaven can break through. And to do that, we have to constantly, doesn't Hebrews say, encourage one another daily? Why do you have to encourage one another daily? Because life sucks sometimes. I mean, that's, that's the reason, because you really get down and depressed and, and you, you, you lose that first love and passion. You know, we do need more. We'll, we'll talk about that a lot more tonight. So did anybody, who, anyone come back who was prayed for last night? I guess that's the first question. Put up your hand if you got prayed for last night. 
high so I can see three, four, five, six, seven, uh, maybe about eight or nine people. Uh, we, yeah, we probably, that's probably about two-thirds of who we prayed for last night, wouldn't it? Now, those of you who are prayed for, uh, how many of you would say, uh, it, I had some experience of God coming near? And don't say, well, I felt peace. Although, you know, actually, that's not a loser comment. In our day, if someone feels peace, that's a miracle, right? But, uh, but, but however you experience that, you would say, I think something seemed like it happened. It isn't like, you know, the prayers all drooled and I was sitting there thinking, I did get the loser prayer group and, and like absolutely nothing happened and everyone walked out exploring other religions, you know. But, but it seemed like something Something happened, all right? Put up your hand if you felt like at least the presence of God was there somewhere in the prayer time. One, two, three, four, five. Now, be honest. Okay, the majority of you felt like at least God seemed to be there. Did, did anyone experience any kind of symptomatic change in the moment? In other words, when they prayed, it seemed like the pain lessened or there was something that seemed to happen in your physical body. Put up your hand. One, two, three, four. Okay, about almost maybe half. That means the other half of you, while you sort of felt that maybe God was there, there was no change. Is that fair enough? Now, all the people that felt something are on this side of the room, so (laughs) next Next time we do one of these things, sit over there. Uh, now, anyone um, see that physical change, whatever seemed like it began? I'm not saying you're all... You know, to say I'm healed is a little presumptuous, isn't it? Because you just don't know. Only over time could you say, you know, I think I was healed. All you can say in the short term is, I had symptoms, I don't have them now. Right? So how many of you, that symptomatic change is sort of held for a day? It feels like it's still different today. Over here, one? All right. Uh, what happened? What, was, what, what went on with you? What took place? What did they pray for? Your back? You could feel stuff going up and down your spine. Okay, and 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 what was the symptomatic change? It's, it's just gone. Now, does it come and go anyway, or do you have it pretty regularly? Okay. A really good day. Okay. Well, that's you know that's encouraging. That's what we reach for, and we keep praying. Now, by the way. Those of you who didn't feel any, and even who didn't feel anything at all, I just want you to know, nobody's really got a handle on this stuff. Like, it's most of the healing, and, you know, I could sit down, right now, I could probably, just off the top of my head, maybe tell you 50 healing stories that have happened in the last few years, many of which are absolutely dramatic. The vast majority of them don't happen in the moment. It's like over a little bit of time, people go, hey, 
Where'd my pain go? Or, or you know, I don't seem to be reacting to that thing anymore. I like, so first of all, uh, be encouraged that uh, I, I never, ever say, oh, we prayed for someone and nothing happened. You just don't know. And so we just, we always pray. I mean, we've got stories of, uh, of things that we've, like my wife had a serious TMJ problem. Anybody ever had TMJ? You do not want to get an operation for that. I mean, it's, it's a nasty thing. And, and she's the real Christian in her family. So she, she just said, you're praying for me every day. So we, we just did. And it took about a year. And then suddenly she realized it was gone. You know, there's something, some of the things you just persevere at. And we're going to talk a lot more of the context of that because, you see, we are not just, uh, I mean, this whole thing of reclaiming people to the kingdom and, and the marriage of heaven and earth isn't sort of like rounding up lost sheep in a pleasant meadow. We are rescuing sheep that are captured by an enemy. I mean, this is opposed by all the powers of death and hell. Uh, and so this is a battle every time we pray for the sick, every time we, we reach out to the marginalized, every time we, uh, we're generous to the poor. All of these acts, when we try to imitate the example of Jesus, it's warfare. So, of course, it's opposed, and of course, it's not easy to break through. There are seasons where it just seems like heaven is near, and there's other seasons when it, and it doesn't. But I tell you what. Always pray and never give up. Somebody said that. You know? Now, why did he tell his disciples that? Because they wanted to give up. I mean, you know, I mean, that's the way it works. So just persevere. And so, you know, don't give up on the people that saw nothing happen. I mean, of course, the people that saw nothing happen, obviously, have sin in their life. But, (laughs) well, I mean, who, who, anybody here doesn't have sin in their life? Come on. You know, so it can't be that. I mean, I'm not saying it makes no difference, but this is something that we fight for with one another. I'll tell you what, if we just begin to say, how are you? Really meant it. And then said, can I pray for you? And did that for a year? You'd never look back. Never look back. So, um, you know, those of you who got prayer, even the fact that Jesus came near you, take real encouragement from that. And, and, and don't just give up and say, well, I had my shot. I had my chance. If he came near, ask him for more. Uh, you know, get prayer again tonight. We're going to have lots of opportunity to pray for one another tonight. And so I, I'm going to be walking around looking for backs. And I mean, I know you've got a good chiropractor here, but I mean... Unless he gives it to you for free, healing is a little better. So, uh, and you know, it isn't even that that we're all supposed to live for hundred hundred until one hundred and thirty with no owies. I mean, you know what? We're all going to die, folks. What what these things are are just encouragements and tastes that heaven hasn't given up on earth. And that Jesus has placed us here to reach for these uh, characteristics of what it looks like when what God wants done gets done. And when people taste it, they get a taste for it. So I'm hoping that all we're rekindling and stirring up is a taste for heaven, folks. Not only to experience it ourselves, 
but to give it away everywhere we go. You know, this was hard for me. Again, I, I, I never learned any of this. I still haven't learned it. I still feel like I'm guessing half the time. But I've had such an incredible life. Let me just tell you one little story. We, um, we, had, we do these round tables that, that we come together for five days, couples from all over the world, and we talk about leadership. And there was one couple that came. And they're from the most conservative church in Canada, which, I mean, which is really conservative. Uh, they don't even have music in their church. That's too out there. So he is a Supreme Court lawyer, and she was the chief legal counsel for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, smart as a whip. And there, she's a cancer survivor, and the, uh, the, the treatment for cancer just destroyed her adrenal system, so she's incredibly unwell. Uh, they come, and, and the first night we do a little bit of worship, which is supposed to warm everybody's heart. And, and then we prayed a little bit just in thought, all right, we start tomorrow morning. And the, the, this, the, the husband, the lawyer, he said, well, just want to let you know, you seem like nice people, but you're pretty much crazy. Well, we'll be all right. We'll be okay. We'll, the week will be okay, but you're all nuts. You know, so that was the sort of start of the week. And uh, by the end of the week... It, it was so amazing. I mean, they were so hungry for Jesus. At the end of the week, they're just weeping and being prophesied over and, and, and saying, bring it on. You know, it was really fun. But one of the things we did is over a communion service, we prayed for her. And it didn't seem like anything happened. I mean, it was and nothing happened, really, to be honest. It was just you pray, and it's always good to pray, isn't it? And and then you, I would have I would have assessed it on the assessometer, zero. I mean, no, not zero, because she knew we loved her. And that's not nothing, is it? That's not nothing at all. Well, it's except as interesting, because uh, got a few months later, got an email from her. She was pregnant. But she couldn't get pregnant. Like, there's no way she could get pregnant. And... Uh, and and not only that, but um, there's no way she could carry a baby. I mean, this lady is barely alive. And, and she's got this whole team of specialists around her. And so we're all, all the people that are at that round table, we're just, we're just praying for her. I mean, just these simple little prayers. And, and then she keeps carrying this baby. And no one can figure out how she's keeping a baby alive. She gets actually right through to almost nine months... And she's going to have this baby. And, and now she wants, she's got a midwife because she'd love to have, a, it was her, just her heart cry, she would have a home birth. But of course, too high risk because if the, if the, if the baby took too long, she dies. Uh, she just couldn't, uh, she couldn't stand the stress of a prolonged childbirth. So if there's any problem at all, bang, they take, you know, they take the baby. So uh, she has a little bit of first labor sign. She, um, uh, she calls the midwife, she comes over, and it's like well, nothing's happening, you know. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, two pushes, she has the baby in her home office. <laughs> the midwife's delivered over 900 babies. She's going like, I've never seen anything like this in my life, you know. How in the world did this happen? I just got an email from her recently. The other thing that specialists can't figure out is she's well. 
And I don't know how she got well. Somehow having this, having this baby, whatever happened, now they're trying to do tests to figure out what's wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, <laughs> now, isn't that a great story? I mean, nobody's the hero of it because, I mean, nothing happened in the prayer. Do you get it? Every time we reach for heaven, we're starting something. And all heaven can break loose. At first, it's not a direct correlation because we want everything to happen according to our prayers because we're building a resume, right? But all I know is sometimes you pray over here and something happens over there. You guys just begin to reach for the kingdom of heaven and it will break in. I promise you it will. Well, with tribulation, with testing, with difficulty, because it makes the devil mad. No, but you know what? It's what's in your heart, isn't it? I know it when I go to places. It's in your heart. You sang it tonight. And when you meant more was not just, you know, shoot me up, Holy Spirit. It was, we want more. We want heaven. We long. All of creation is groaning for the marriage of heaven and earth. Don't you feel that groan? What Jesus is saying, come on. Right out with me. I know it's crazy. I know all the odds are against us. But the light's going to dawn in the morning of the third day. Right out with me. Doesn't that stir your bones? I'm 66 and it stirs my bones. And so I, my encouragement is, is just don't stop. Right? Now, I, I mentioned that. Uh, well, Colossians, let's pop up Colossians 1, 13, 14. Now, this is really the mission that we're talking about and that we're being invited to. Um, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the soul he loves. It's son, obviously. In whom we have... That's, that's Canadian for son. We, we don't see it much, so we, we don't even know how to spell it. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is what... this. You know, what we're talking about is a divine rescue. You want to have a great biblical example for everything we're trying to learn how to do? It's the Exodus. It's, it's Moses and Aaron uh, uh, walking into the court of Pharaoh with all of the intimidations that's involved and in saying, this is what the Lord says. Let him go. You know? And that, I mean, that's what he does. And then and Pharaoh thinks about it and goes... Uh, no. And then it starts, doesn't it? I mean, it's really hilarious, all the stuff that happens. The, the snake thing and the blood in the water. Great song title. And, uh, you know, the, the frogs in the underwear drawer. And I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, it's hilarious in some ways. You know, it, it, you know and, and, and I, I don't, the magicians are not super smart. Like, I mean, I, I've got nothing against Egyptians, but... But the, the, the magicians are not super smart because if you stop to think about it, more blood isn't an, a, a helpful solution or more frogs isn't particularly helpful. But somehow they just think, hey, we can do frogs. Oh, yeah, blood. We can do blood. Snakes, you know. Uh, I mean, they do have to go back and, you know, anyway. But then they get to gnats and it's like, no, we can't do gnats. It's got to be God, you know. <laughs> I should have sent them to Kentucky. I mean, you guys can do gnats. But, <clears throat> but what's going on? 
They're confronting the whole pantheon of religion, of spiritual powers that uphold the whole Egyptian empire. One by one, it, there's a confrontation. Each time, it's, this is what the Lord says. The Lord of heaven and earth, over the earth, under the earth, let my people go. And eventually, they go. This is what we're sent out into the world to do. This isn't some kind of cakewalk. It's not benign. We don't walk towards the kingdom of darkness to reclaim the, you know, the prisoners only to encounter a sign that says, Welcome, rescuers. Take whoever you want. We've got lots. No, it's like, you know, don't touch nothing. And, and so then it starts. Every time we reach out and pray for the sick or, or we just love someone or see them, I mean, there is this cause, cosmic conflict between heaven and hell. Hell trying to keep it all separated and apart and the kingdom of God saying, come on in. Now, we, our encouragement, Colossians later on, a chapter later in chapter 215, Paul will say, um, well, really encourage us that Jesus has triumphed. It's that whole, um, it's the uh, metaphor of the triumphal procession. If anyone's ever been uh, to Rome and, and you've gone along the Appian Way and the, you know, up to the Capitoline Hill and you see what, how intimidating that would have been. Titus's arch when they would march the captives and humiliate them saying, this is what happens to people that try to challenge our power. This is the image here. And, 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 and Paul is saying that, that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities on, and triumphed over them on the cross. Because on the cross, our certificate of debt was canceled. There's, there's no claim on us. And, and so this, this, I mean, we can have confidence. I mean, we might die trying, but at the end of the day, folks, I read the end of the book, we win. You know, the kingdom of God it's going to become the kingdom of this world. I mean, that powerful passage in Revelation is going to be this amazing choir of, of everything on earth. And, and, of course, it inclusively proves that dogs go to heaven, too. But that's, that's another message. Uh, so we, ha- we can have this confidence. But the challenge is, is that like Peter and the waves, we lose sight of that and we waver. We lose our nerve, don't we? And we start going, are you sure we can walk on water? I mean, don't we just belong to the natural realm? Isn't this stuff that only the big hair people do? Or like, I mean, can we really expect that, that, that God will allow us to see this victory and triumph in our lives? And there's times that it's so dark, you, you don't even know if you're going to get to heaven yourself. Well, so we need confidence and encouragement, don't we? Now, I look around historically, and I mean, I see different groups of people in history, but particularly there's one group of people that if they got anything right, it was confidence. And that was the first century church. Now, I'm not one of those romanticists that go, uh, you know, oh, if we could only go back to the first century church. Like I said this morning, I'm sleeping with your mother and getting drunk at communion is a slight problem. Like everything wasn't perfect. They were bickering over ethnic lines. I mean, there's all sorts of challenges. They were real people, broken people just like us. But if they got one thing right, 
there was a tremendous underlying confidence, confidence, courage, and boldness in those people, was there not? I mean, think about it. Less than 25,000 people. There's a couple of major historians. One, uh, Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist, Christian guy. Another guy who's not a Christian at all, a man named Ramsey McMullen, uh, a... um, uh, emeritus professor, the foremost expert on religion in the Roman Empire in the first 400 years. And both of them comment how astonishing it is that these early Christians, against every odd, win the day. In less than 300 years, this marginalized group that you would think would just be either stomped out or assimilated actually changes the climate of the entire Roman Empire. And within 300 years, those less than 25,000 people become almost 20 million. And they go, how did this happen? And in particular, I like the, his, the, the secular historian basically goes, well, besides sort of driving out the gods of the Roman Empire and confronting them, they basically tasted like heaven. They tasted like Jesus. When everyone else panicked, they were fully, and use a family systems term, a, a non-anxious presence in the midst of crisis. You know, rescuing other people's babies. Well, I mean, everybody, no one liked them until they got sick. And then it's like, psst, you pray for me, you know. And they just, it was just, they were just like a continued presence of Jesus. And people just kept joining them. It kept changing everything. And, and yet, now, it's a little overblown, the persecution. It was sporadic. It was uneven. But they were always intimidated and marginalized. And yet, somehow, there was this internal courage that motivated them. Don't we want that? I, I think we do. So, what is it? that seemed to empower them. Well, probably a lot of things, but there does seem to be one key pivotal event that we read about in the early chapters of Acts that seems like a watershed moment that just propels this early church in a dramatic way, and that's the events at Pentecost. Now, early vineyard history, this was a key text. This, whatever happened, it's referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was a really, really important uh, passage. And almost everything we talked about, we always worked that kind of experience into, we could be talking about biblical accounting. Well, those days we called power accounting, I guess. And, uh, And then they would finish off talking about power accounting, and then they would say, well... I think the Holy Spirit is telling us to have an empowering time. I mean, you always did that. In other words, it was a time of having an encounter like unto this thing we read about at Pentecost where people are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because in a sense, what John understood is that if we're going to try to keep doing this over the long term and sustain, there's going to have to be something that empowers us and gives us the courage to stay with it. Or else it's just going to be a good weekend and we go back to work. Right? Now, the challenge, though, is what is that? Now, you don't have to be in a church for two minutes. You could be, you know, you said yes to Jesus two minutes ago. You come into your first church service and somebody's going to come up to you in some way and say, Psst, hey, 
You heard of the baptism? Come to the motel Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. By the way, you want to why watch? You know, I mean, it's, it's, aren't they? You can be in the most conservative churches and there's these little people sneaking around. Hey, you ever heard about the baptism? Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody sneak off to those little motel meetings? Come on, own up. We're the charismatics. There's one, okay. Uh, and of course, there'll be other people within two and a half minutes, they're going to say, watch out for little people with trench coats sneaking around saying, have you heard of the baptism? Because you already got it, right? Uh, that, it's a little more nuanced than that, but by and large, are you aware that there's been a little bit of a conflict, an argument over what's supposed to be an unbelieving, unbelievable unifying force in the church, that this idea of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit has divided churches for hundreds of years? Now, we have an opportunity to solve that tonight. Let's sort out what the baptism really is, and then we can set the rest of the church right tonight. Does that sound like a good plan? We'll take a vote after I just give you a little bit of information, and we'll put this little sucker to rest. Uh, have I got notes here? I think I do. Uh, you know, I'm a little old and almost at the drooling stage. <laughs> Did I did I tell you, was it Thursday night or was it sometime last night? Did I tell you the story of my first empowering experiences in the vineyard? Did I do that last night? You know, where everybody was falling down and, or was that Thursday night? That was last night? Thursday night. Is it okay if I tell that again? All right. Uh, those people just go for a coffee that heard it before, but, you know... Uh, one thing I realized is if I was going to be a vineyard pastor, if I was going to try to be Jesus, which is a little intimidating. Now, I'm talking small J Jesus, but, but still, it's, that's, that's, that's tough. I thought, I need something. I, I mean, I, I can't do this. Now, what I thought I needed was some kind of anointing at that time. I didn't realize that I was mistaken, uh, that, that anyone can do the works of Jesus. I, I thought I needed some kind of special anointing, so I really misunderstood these empowering times. But in those days, by the way, in the vineyard, we used the more strictly theological term, getting zapped. <clears throat> and so everyone knew that if you're really going to be an insider, you had to have one of those zapping experiences, and thousands of people were getting them. And so I was really, I mean, at first, the first ministry time, I, it was, I thought, well, okay, God missed me tonight. But I mean, he's busy. It's, I mean, it's tough being God. You get all these, you know, people constantly reaching for you. And so I thought, well, maybe saving the best for last, which works with my name. And so I didn't realize how last, last would be. I don't know how many conferences in, and still he seems to be missing, you know. And I'm, and I'm, I'm trying. I mean, I learned all of the ministry team attractants. You know, ever been to one of those conferences and they have the dot people with the special fluorescent dots, which means that they've been zapped suitably, and now they've got something to give. And you really want them praying for Now they get everybody praying for you, but everybody knows the prayers that counts are the dot people. So... I learned there's all sorts of little things that fool them into thinking that the Holy Spirit's already touching you. Like it's that, yeah, I mean, every, first of all, everybody had to be in the, in the you know, classic vineyard position, hands open, don't cross anything, think happy thoughts about God. And, 
and then and then you sway just a little bit and try to if you can get your you know you rub your forehead and try to get it to perspire a little bit I was desperate all right give me a break and if your eyelids flutter just a little bit those are all the early signs and ministry team will rush over and say more right I shouldn't have worn that Canadian maple leaf shirt. That was the, it was just like, and I'd be like in the glory and and then I'd peek and, oh, guys, come on. And you go stand somewhere else and they, they, you know. So one of these times I was really desperate and and it was the most anointed guy in the vineyard. And I thought, this has got to be my day. If I'm going to be Jesus, this has to happen. And by now, I've got a growing vineyard church, and I got this deep secret. I've never been zapped, and nobody knows it. And I'm just like I'm a pretender. I'm faking it, like I can heal the sick and raise the dead and all this stuff. And and time's running out. I mean, sooner or later, you know, it's going to be out there in the light. So I'm really desperate, and I'm, I'm it's like one, two, three, you know. Uh, uh, when did, what is that? What's that cheer? Uh, what? Something, who are we for? God, God, God. Anyway, I'm, t- I'm doing everything I can do to try to say, come on, God, you can do this, me, come on. And, and uh, so I'm, 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 I'm really, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And second row. Now, for a Canadian to get in the second row, that's really, I mean, that's pushing yourself forward. <laughs> yeah. So the ministry team sort of starts at the back or the middle. And I'm, that set me off a little bit. But I, I thought, it's okay. It's okay. Just relax. This is your day. And then I heard this thump. Thump, 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 thump. Thump, 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 thump. And I thought, it started. The Lord's here. People are getting empowered. You know, thump, 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 thump. But there's only so many thump, 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 thumps. And it's not as pleasant as it was in the first ones because the thumping isn't you. And finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. This is a true story. This is what makes it so scary. Uh, will you pray for me afterwards? A little traumatic. Better sit down. Um, I, I actually, without a word of lie, I peeked. I looked around. There's about 75 people in this workshop. Everyone on that side of the floor was on the floor. I couldn't hardly make myself do it, but I looked the other way. And there was one stinking guy standing in the whole room. He didn't even look like a Christian. (laughs) And without a word of a lie, the thought came to my mind, I am the Antichrist. (laughs) Like, I I thought my whole life was over. That's how how low it was for me. I hated the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to go into one of these meetings ever again. It was like... Like, it's cruelty. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking Now, I know for many of you, you had these wonderful, blissful experiences of the Holy Spirit. But there's always some, like me, to go like, I want to do, I want to play, but like, God, wh- why, why won't you help me? You know? Now, we'll, we'll get back to that story later because it's, it's a very, very important story. But let me, all that to say, this was not a peripheral issue for the vineyard. And... Nor was it a peripheral so I, I, uh, issue for me. So I've spent years 
reading every theological text, really trying to seek out what is this thing called the baptism. Now, I grew up in a conservative tradition, and then I ended up for a period of a few years in a Jesus people church back in the druggy years and where we were all hippies. Where were you? Are you guys all hippies too? No, no, you're not old enough. You guys, uh, neo-hippies, maybe some of you. Um, and what I realized, first of all, is that there's two very different conceptions about what the baptism is. One uh, centers around, there's two general answers. One centers on a metaphor, uh, on a, prepos- uh, a preposition, in, the Holy Spirit in you. Classic text of that would be 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For you've all been baptized, Pauline, you've all been baptized by one spirit as so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. So in the good conservative church I was raised in, it was saying, look, you've got the Holy Spirit. You received him at salvation. You don't need anything else. You don't need more of him. He needs more of you. It's surrender, so like, you know, get with the program, read your Bible every day, you know, pray and grow, grow, grow. So it's, you've, it's all done. And it's conclusive. I mean, actually, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's, it's a good theological argument, actually, and, and I won't take the time to kind of spell all of that out. It's Pauline-based, but it's, there's, there's some real scriptural weight and evidence, yes. Of course, that's what happens. We receive the Spirit. He'll, he'll say he'll echo that in Romans as well. When we say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God enters into us. Right? Now, then you've got another group that goes, yeah, I used to think that too. <sighs> Obviously, you've never read Acts. When the Spirit of God comes on people, right? So and then they have there's this, this little gerrymandering as far as, you know, semantics. And, and, and we, we talk about um, receiving, you know, sort of the first fruits of the Spirit. And then there's, but what they're talking about now is a secondary experience that usually is characterized by, you know, I was driving down the freeway and suddenly 10,000, you know, pounds of, uh, or volts of liquid love energized my body and I started speaking in tongues and had to pull over. And it's absolutely true. Hey, my son-in-law was in the middle of an acid trip with some Satanists trying to get him to bow down and worship them. And uh, so he was raised in a Christian home. He was a major drug dealer at that time. And, and they'd fed him a lot of acid, and he was, he was not coming down, and he cried out to Jesus. And it's like, he describes it like 10,000 volts of electricity coming on him. He was instantly straight, and he could see the demonic world. and the other. It was it an was unbelievable experience. I mean, so it changed everything. Immediately, he started tithing in all his drug earnings. <laughs> Hey, we've been trying to get people in church to tithe for generations. I mean, that's, that's incredible, right? And so they'll say, no, like, you know, it used to be always this, like, uh, you know, plotting and sin and drudgery, and then the Spirit came on me, and now all is faith, victory, and power. 
And, uh, you know, the guys over here are going, oh, give me a break. How many televangelist stories you want me to tell you? You know, and the thing is, I know for every person that pulled over speaking in tongues on the freeway, there's another 50 that are pacing back and forth in their bedroom practicing should have bought a Honda and trying to convince themselves that something really happened. You know what? The guys over here have changed the world. Did you know that? So, I mean, it goes back and forth, doesn't it? It goes back and forth and you go, well, well, which is it? Like, where are you supposed to? Do I need something different or do I not? And, and, and so how in the world are we going to figure that out tonight? Well, there are some helpful things. The first is to recognize that both are right. Both of these experiences are the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we go, well, yeah, but that's a problem. No, it's not a problem if you understand how language works. I mean, think about it for a minute. What does a word mean? Well, it's not as simple as a word having a single meaning, is it? I mean, think of the English word board. Uh, You know, there's supposedly somewhere almost 30 different meanings of that word. You can have room and board. You can have the uh, church board. You can have, uh, uh, you, could, you might be bored, right? That's a different spelling. Uh, now, how do you know which is the appropriate meaning of the word? Context. Context. Context just determines what the word means. Now, it's interesting. You know, this word baptism was not a special religious word invented to describe what the Holy Spirit does. It's a word they borrowed from the common Greek language around them. And it had some interesting different meanings. It had to do with kind of immersion, which, you know, the water baptism that, that we are familiar with. But one of them was, was a word that applied when people would dip cloth into dye and the cloth would be united with the dye so that when you took the cloth out of the dye, the two would become one. Does that explain a lot over here? So when Paul is using the word, he's using it in that sense saying, when you say yes to Jesus, you are united with him. And you become one with him and with one another. And, and all death and hell isn't going to pull that apart. Is that encouraging to you? Yeah. No? Now, what, what, um, uh, what, what in, in many ways, what Paul is linking back to is some of the passages in John just before uh, the, the first chapters of Acts. The problem is because we read John and then jump into Acts, we think we're, we're, they're describing exactly the same kind of experience. Where, where you see John is talking about this inner comforter and guide, the, the, para, the uh, uh, her, uh, 
heteros paracletos, the, the, uh, another one just like me, the one who will come and take Jesus' place as an advocate, a counselor, one that will be in you, one that will say, no, turn right, turn left. Uh, there's this stream of, of thinking in the scripture that's, that Paul is gathering up and saying, this is what happens when you say yes to Jesus. He's never going to abandon you. He's going to be working with you from the inside out. Do you ever need more than him? No. But Paul isn't writing in opposition to Luke. Uh, They're actually talking about two different experiences. Because Luke is actually, if you see the parallelism between his gospel and the book of Acts, you realize there's some intentional structure, but you'll also realize he's picking up language of the Greek Old Testament that talks about the Spirit of God falling upon people like Gideon and the prophets. And what he's trying to say is with Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit, the return of the oracle of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy... Uh, something dramatic is happening. He borrows this word baptism, but a somewhat different use because, see, baptism was also used to describe what would happen cataclysmically when a huge deluge or storm would overwhelm a boat and sort of unite it with the depths of the water. In other words, you've got either Jesus uniting you never to be separated or the Spirit of God coming and sinking your boats. What he's trying to say is, uh, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I tell you what, if you're going to go out in the world and confront all of the power of the enemy, you need to know how powerful and strong and overwhelming this God is who lives inside of you. But it's not a zero-sum game. It's not either or, you know, door number one or door number two. It's saying yes and. It's saying this is the God. In some ways, what's happening, what Scripture is trying to do is help us to understand who it is who's come to live inside of us. And he's all of this. So, you know, God forbid, I'm staying with, uh, is it double tray, triple ray, what... Uh, Ray, Ray and, and Candy. Oh boy, I tell you what. It's like, I, I think I just won the lottery or something. This is like, it's like, talk about a taste of heaven. I'm living it right now at their place. But uh, God forbid, imagine if I said, you know, this has been so good. I think I'll come and live with you for a year. <laughs> now, you know how polite they are. They probably wouldn't say, well, they might say no. I, I have been there for a few days. But. Uh, <clears throat> So everything goes well. And, you know, they may find out that I'm actually an amazing chef. And within a month or two, I'm cooking all their meals. It's a good deal. And, and they just think, how good is this? And, and one day, <clears throat> he comes back from the, they come back from the, the office, and, and they see all the vineyards gone. The, the uh, half of the house is gone. And there's all these big machines, and, and we're digging stuff up, and, and they... What's going on? I said, oh, d- didn't I tell you? I, yeah, I'm, I'm a great chef, but I, I'm, off, I'm also like a, I'm a builder. I'm, I'm, uh, we're starting a project. And, and they go, well, I, I never invited you to be a builder. I just invited you as a chef. 
in some ways, I would say, well, gee, maybe, maybe you should have got to know me a little bit better because I'm more than a chef. See, part of the dilemma in the body of Christ is many of us only invited him in as a soft, cuddly presence that would encourage us when we're discouraged and affirm us. But we neglected to read the fine print that realize, and realize that at the end of the day, he wants to sink our boats. And he wants to send us out to change the world. That's the deal. That's what it means to say yes to Jesus. And if we understand what it means to sign up, then, then what we realize is we, we need it all. And one isn't the enemy of another. Now, what's the critical factor? It is not which experience and how does it come and, and does everyone have to speak in tongues and what does it have to sound like and, and, and how do you get it? And really, there's another issue that I don't hear talked a lot about, but it's the really big issue with respect to experiencing the Holy Spirit. And it's a question we must answer. And depending on how we answer it, changes everything. And that question is, is simply this. Are we receiving a person or a power? We talk about it like what we're getting is the power of the Holy Spirit, not the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is so dangerous. Um, if, you, if you want to just meditate on that a little bit, read Second Corinthians 12, where Paul, who operated seemingly with such incredible power, and he's being persecuted and opposed, and, 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 and he's in effect saying to, to, <clears throat> to the Lord, he's saying, you know, could, could, can we do Ephesus again? Like, I just love that. I, you know, I love that handkerchief thing. Man, I mean, I, you could sell those things. And, and how, does, how does the Lord respond? Oh, Paul. Oh, no, don't go there. All you need is me. You see, if, if I give you power, you become my general. Next thing you know, you're taking me on. Isn't that the way power works? Any, any electricians here? Uh, you know, I've done a fair amount of wiring and stuff. I had a friend once who worked with 600 volts of live power and it slipped and his hand hit that power. And what does it do? It grabs you and sucks the life out of you. How many more times do we have to see people with the best of intentions want to do all these great things for God and they say, God, give me power. I'll go and do stuff in your name for a while. <laughs> and that power consumes them. Folks, we don't need a power. We need a presence, a person. And that's all we need. And so, so the Lord says to Paul, oh, you know, when you're weak, you're actually incredibly strong because you need me. And when you need me, I'm there. And I am very strong. I know it's enticing to think that we can be God's generals. But you know, it's probably a better thing to passionately pursue being God's ambassadors. 
because that's the biblical metaphor he invites us to. So when we seek the Holy Spirit, we want to seek all of who he is and say, Lord, come and reveal yourself to us. And when he does, how is it that we're empowered? And why is it that we have such great faith? Because we realize how big he is and that he's never going to leave us. We look around and go, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't think any demon's going to jump, you know, jump out of the boat because I'm there. But I tell you what, if he's riding shotgun with me, I feel pretty confident. I'd much rather be confident in him than me. That makes sense to you? And that's all we need. So God wants us united with and trusting in him. It's the the presence of the Holy Spirit that keeps us close and relationally connected. Why did Jesus, it says in John 3, that Jesus was able to be filled with the Holy Spirit without any limit. Why is that? Because he was fully obedient. He fully trusted his Father. There was no separation. Therefore, uh, all heaven could be poured out through him. It's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for us. So, I've, I've really changed over the years. In the early years, um, there were some years of incredible power. Um, and and I, it, it actually, eventually, I got really frightened by it. Not by the power, I got frightened by me. Because I began to realize that I was very close to practicing witchcraft. I mean, think about it for a sec. Uh, there's only one power in the universe, isn't there? God's power. Then you go, well, then how does Satan get his power? Well, it isn't his power. He steals it. You can use spiritual power illegally without authorization. Now, he'll pay for it. And so does everyone who takes power without authorization from God. You know, but when we get in that world, half the time we're not even asking for permission. We just think if we can do something, it's good. And it must bless God. But you see, you can get used to spiritual power and learn how to wield it. And it scares me to death. So it's so important to just put the power discussion to the side. I know that the enemy is significant. I know that we lived in a marginalized time. I know the odds are against us. We don't need power. We need him. And we need to be fully submitted to him. And we need to be aware of how big he is. And not try to say, I only want you to be this to me. Right? I go, I want you to be you to me. You decide how you show yourself. So what happens after a while? is at first we're overwhelmed when God shows himself in powerful ways. And then what starts to happen is we start to denigrate all of the other ways in which he shares himself. And then we go, this counts, this doesn't. And I go, no. So over the years, I've gotten actually, I almost try, I don't try to make things not happen. But I just say to people, look, don't help God. 
Like, I know it's great if everybody barks like dogs or whatever. Like, I, I don't care what happens. But I don't care if, quote, nothing happens. All I know is if you create a space for God to encounter you, you will be different. But I don't care what it looks like. You know, so I, I see less now. I don't care. I'm, I'm too old to get a career anyway. So, like, you know what I mean? And and as I've done that, I've I've just I've had such wonderful encounters. I remember one time a guy in the UK came to me, an older man, and someone always kind of felt like on the outside because he's fairly conservative and conservative personality, and he didn't do crazy things. And so he never sort of felt like he ever experienced God. And everyone else seemed to, and charismatic kind of circle. And we just created this little space. And, yeah, it was pretty lame, really. I mean, it seemed like it. And uh, he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I just had the most significant experience with God of my entire life. Just tears running down his face. And he said, and no one would have ever known. Does that count? Is that okay? Remember one time I was in a Scandinavian country. I invited the Spirit of God. I just, I don't feel much. I mean, I'm, but I, I kind of thought, whew, like God is really here. But then I looked and like nobody was doing anything. They're all just standing there. You know, I went like, get with the program. Like, I mean, what's going on? And I'm just going... Like, what's going on? How come nobody's moving? What's, and the Lord, I, just thought, I, mean, I don't know. I, it could have been God or pizza, but now I think it was the Lord. And, and it seemed like this voice said, when he asked them. So I said, hey, if you can move, put, put your hand up. Less than half of the people in the room could move. They're paralyzed, just paralyzed for like half hour. I'm going like, what's that? <laughs> well, evidently pretty good. I mean, there's some unbelievable visions and things like that. So, like, we just got to throw away what stuff's supposed to look like. Or what happens is we only pray for a narrow slice of people. And we think nothing else counts. And then a whole segment of our community feels like they're not in the game. You know? So that has to change. And, and it can change. I was with, uh, a, a, how are we doing for time? 8.30, oh, we're good. Um, I, I'm, I'm just about landed. Um, you, you, you dead yet? You still got a couple of minutes? Okay. The, uh, I was with a bunch of Anglican priests. The archbishop made them come. Gave me three days with them to do whatever I wanted. So I talked to them about the Holy Spirit and, and experiencing the Holy Spirit, and they all looked at me sort of like, so I said, look, just relax. Nothing has to happen. We're going to create about a 10, 15-minute space for the Holy Spirit. If you want, I just have a nap. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not trying to make you do anything. Nothing has to happen to you. So, uh, but let's just invite him and see what takes place. So, I mean, I could tell a great story uh, because probably about two-thirds of them actually experience God, many of them for the first time in their lives in a tangible way. But... I mean, you know what? In our world, we would have gone, ah, I was a loser. Loser ministry time. I mean, it was like a couple of people, their hand twitched a little bit. and A couple of people were slumped over. And it's like, 
So, I mean, you got to start somewhere. It's all right. And uh, a real power guy would have done, I mean, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm old. So, next morning, I mean, we, it's interspersed with real formal liturgy. We're in the stained glass church building and the, and the archbishop's there, vestments, everything else. And, and I'm, I'm like the bull in the china shop. You're supposed to stand. I'm turning the wrong way, bumping into people, trying to figure out what to, I'm standing up when they're sitting down. And, and, and everybody's being nice to me. But uh, this guy, they have like a five-minute homily, five-minute message. Try working with that. <clears throat> It went, but the whole liturgy is the message, of course. And, and, and this priest, he, he puts, takes, puts down his glasses, and all the bigwigs are there. And he goes, he does what he's not supposed to do. He says, I, I'm not going to comment on the liturgy. I want to share what happened to me last night. And I'm looking. He says, some of you know me. In the last year, and he lists off his wife got double breast cancer, his sister died tragically, his mom died, like all this stuff that happened. And then with tears running down his face, he said, I kept working, um, but I lost my faith. And then just weeping, he said, and last night, Jesus met me and my faith was restored. I just wanted to throw dirt on my head. It was like, oh, man. I mean, I need to become a Christian. Like, like folks, does it get better than that? Isn't that what we're about? Isn't that what we're reaching for? Like, what are we fighting about all this stuff? Like, I don't care. Let's just create some space and let the Holy Spirit work deep in our hearts. And watch what happens. You know? And not measure all the time. Oh, this was bigger and better than last time. I think God hates that stuff. Now, there's one last reason. That one last thing I think we really have to wrestle with in this area. If we're really going to see uh, the empowering of the church. And it's particularly true for those of us who are Westerners. There is a cancer that grieves the Holy Spirit like almost nothing else. And that's actually a word that was invented to describe your country a few hundred years ago by a French philosopher. And that's the word individualism. We champion it, but it's a cancer in the body of Christ. You know, we read the Bible as though it was all written to us. It wasn't. It was written to us. We've lost the sense of a plural you. And so what happens, and this is the tragedy of the story I told you about me. Why was it such a horrific experience? Because of my self-centeredness and individualism. Because when I stood up and I said, come Holy Spirit, I wasn't saying, come Holy Spirit to us. I was saying, come Holy Spirit to me. And the rest of them were my competition. I had a ministry. I had things God had called me to do. I had to get this done. I need the anointing, not you losers. Nobody would say that. But it's there. 
I had this, I, I just, you know, I watch movies with my grandkids and I just watched one movie and, and it, I just, I, I, it, I, I, I thought of immediately, uh, it gave me a wonderful image for what it's like often when we're all hands outstretched saying, come Holy Spirit. And I imagined, and this isn't, I know this is not theologically correct, okay, so don't come and speak to me later. I can imagine the beginning of the day, the Holy Spirit getting up, and, and it's Sunday, and he says, oh, I get to go to church all day long. So he starts in New Zealand, and he starts flying down, and he sees this beautiful congregation singing, you know, uh, all of your songs, <clears throat> hands outstretched, and... and uh, you know, he he come he, he flies toward. I, I know this is not, he, he, and and he's going yes yes, and he gets down close. All of a sudden, he just swerves away and goes somewhere else. And you go, what was that? It looked so inviting. Well, here's how it looked to the Holy Spirit. He gets down close and he sees all these people, all these hands, and they're going mine, 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 mine. <laughs> Wouldn't you leave? But Finding Nemo, of course. I don't. Like, that's it, folks. And so it grieves the spirit. There's nothing more powerful. You see, I've seen so much of this. People walk out and they're telling all their God stories. And I tell you what, other people hate those times. There's kids that grow up in vineyard churches. They don't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Because they feel like they're the ones on the outside of the pet store window looking in because they, they just didn't know how to respond in certain suitable ways. And a lot of that is just, is first of all, misunderstanding the wide range in which God can encounter us, seeing it all as legitimate. But the other thing is, is breaking down. See, where I've come to now is this. Not a lot of stuff happens to me. Not a lot of stuff happened to John Wimber either. We've seen incredible things happen as we participated with the Spirit, but haven't personally experienced a lot of it. And that used to just drive me crazy. Except now, I get to be in environments with the Holy Spirit over and over again. And I'm always open. I'm always saying, well, Lord, I, here I am. You can touch me, but I, I'm almost hoping you won't. Because when I see him land on other people, and I watch him just reaching deep into their hearts. You know what? You know what happens to me? I go, we're still in the game. He's with us. If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, look what just happened to, to, the, to her and to him. And like, whoa, God's here. And I just get filled with his courage and boldness. We can do this thing. And I just want to get over there and bless what's happening. Because I know this is just going to be a life-changing encounter but I know that if they're strengthened, I'm in good shape. You see, if one part is stronger, we're all stronger. Do you understand that? We, we don't understand that. It's almost impossible for us that to make sense to us. But we are one body with the one spirit to drink. And every part that is strengthened, we are all strengthened. This is a team game. So I get profound encouragement and courage out of watching the Holy Spirit encounter people. And I get to be like a midwife that encourages and blesses those encounters. Does it get better than that? You know? So I've repented 
of my attitude and my posture in those days. And I've stopped worrying about any of that stuff. God does encounter me. And he can do so in all of the ways that he wants. And I seek him, not as passionately probably as you, but as all that's in my carnal little heart. Yeah? But I'm so encouraged that the Holy Spirit is here. Now, the challenge is, uh, a challenge that was pointed out by the great evangelists in in America in the 20th century, a man named uh, Dwight L. Moody. And and someone, he, he was actually, you know, he, he was constantly talking about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And somebody queried him and said, like, why do you keep talking about the filling of the Spirit? Like, why don't you just get filled once and then you're good to go? And he thought about it and reflected and then responded very wisely. He said, well, I guess I leak. Don't we? And so that's why it says... Come together, encourage one another daily. One of the most important things we can do in the church is find ways of just creating some space to just wait on the Holy Spirit and not quickly fill that space with doing something, you know, and, and, or making something happen. Like, just wait. I know it's hard for us because it's been proven after 20 seconds waiting for anything, our blood pressure appreciably elevates. Our anxiety level increases. Like, and that's why I say don't worry about what, what happens because if we just wait, we've had a profound victory. Like just, just waiting for God is like a huge win. Like anything else happens is gravy, isn't it? It's so valuable for us as a community together to wait and say, here we are. Come and fill your temple. And then receive what he does. Treasure it in one another and go on from that place and watch what he does. I am not denigrating renewal, charismatic meetings. I'm just saying, let's go beyond that to something even better. You know? Does that resonate with your heart? Then let's do it.